Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, as we all know, is doing the most, uh, doing the absolute most. Uh, I told somebody yesterday he ought to take a seat. He ought to take a few seats. Uh, and yet he's not listening to me uh, as he is now running uh, for uh, president, uh, the GOP nomination, specifically, as you all know. So Florida is currently the topic of widespread discussion, as you all know, about black history and uh, the black history curriculum. And uh, Ron uh, DeSantis has doubled down, tripled down now on his notion that black folk benefited from slavery as if it was some vocational training program for us. Uh, but um, a, a number of uh, black academics, including Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, who is a professor of Africana studies at Wellesley College, along with Hassan Jeffries, uh, Dr. Hassan Jeffries, who's the brother of Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the house, uh, and some other educators uh, from different parts of the country, organized a remarkable event uh, days ago in Florida. They convened in Florida to stage a 24-hour black history teaching at an AME church as a form of protest against Ron DeSantis, or as Donald Trump calls him, Ron DeSantimonious. Uh, Dr. Jackson is the noted author of Force and Freedom, Black Abolitionist and the Politics of Violence. She joins us now to share her experience uh, uh, regarding this teaching and shed some light, uh, I hope, on the ways in which parents, educators, all of us who are concerned can resist uh, these antics, uh, these political antics, and safeguard our children going forward. Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, good to have you on Tavis Smiley. How are you today? I'm good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you on. Glad we have an hour. A lot to unpack. Let me start with a couple broad, yeah. a couple broad questions, and again, we'll, we'll narrow our way as we move through this hour. Um, speaking of your particular book, what do you make first of all before we get to the teaching? Uh, of this growing mm -hmm. effort in the country to to ban books. What's your read on that? Mm. You know, all throughout history, any group that has ever tried to ban a book, ban access to literacy, ban access, access to knowledge, has been on the wrong side of the track, quite frankly. I mean, when we think about the original sort of book bannings, go back to slavery. The enslaved were not allowed to read. They were not allowed to have access to literacy. It was considered against the law. There was severe, if not violent, punishment for those who tried to learn or got caught with letters or papers or things of that nature. And so one of the first things enslaved people tried to do when they got their freedom was to seek out literacy. So they're seeking out loved ones and, and trying to reconnect with loved ones because of the rupture that slavery caused. But they're also trying to gain as much knowledge and information as they possibly can. And so there are freedom schools that get started during the Reconstruction in which, you know, northern teachers are sent to the South almost like missionaries to educate the formerly enslaved. And, you know, you have classrooms that have children as young as two years old and adults as old as 90 trying to get literacy for the first time. And so I think it goes to show how powerful it is. You know, Frederick Douglass talked about how the moment he got literacy, he was no longer a slave anymore. Mm. And he's not saying he was freed or emancipated. He was saying that that act of knowing how to read and write freed him intellectually so that he could not be bound ideologically or intellectually or even emotionally by the chains of slavery. Yeah. There's a lot already uh, in that one answer that I want to uh, inter yeah. <laughs> in, 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 interrogate and give her a chance to unpack for us as we as we move forward. Uh, we're talking for the full hour with Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, professor at Wellesley College, uh, Africana Studies, about this teaching recently in Florida and what we can do once again to resist um, 
this effort, uh, uh, this this anti woke effort by many on the GOP side of the aisle. Uh, against teaching the truth, against teaching African-American history. Just getting started with Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson on Tavis Smiley. To say that Ron DeSantis is tripping would be the, the, the mother of all understatements this year. Uh, uh, tripping so hard uh, that a number of black educators decided they needed to, uh, to get together from all parts of the country and, and, and rush to Florida to do a, a black history teach-in. They did so at an AME church as a form of protest against the political antics of Ron DeSantis. We'll talk more about that uh, as we move through this hour. Um, but one of those uh, professors uh, is Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson, who teaches Africana Studies at Wellesley College. And she said a few things already at the outset of this conversation that I want to get her a chance to, uh, to unpack for me. Uh, the first thing is this notion of literacy and how when our ancestors were finally freed, um, so many of them immediately um, craved the opportunity to learn how to read and to write. Uh, I start with this question. What does it say about black people? that they were so anxious to learn how to read and write the minute they got their freedom. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think literacy to some extent is what makes us human. It what it's what makes us different from animals, right? The fact that we crave knowledge and wisdom and the ability to communicate ideas clearly and effectively um, the idea to be able to pass information from one person to another, be it via through books or through newspapers and essays and pamphlets. I think about David Walker's pamphlet, which is one of the most radical pamphlets ever written in the 19th mm-hmm. century. Mm-hmm. He writes this pamphlet, and he writes it in a way that allows people who don't have literacy to still get it. So he writes in a way that when it's being read, it sounds like it's being spoken. It doesn't necessarily sound like the written word. It sounds like the spoken word. And he was very intentional because he knew if there was one person that did have literacy, they could read it out to anyone within the vicinity who would listen Mm -hmm. and that they could get those concepts that he was talking about. So, and I think in a, in a very fundamental way, literacy is about proving our humanity, our citizenship, our, um, our genius in a lot of ways. Um, And I, I don't think it can really be underestimated. And I think I'm confident that one of the reasons why uh, literacy was banned during slavery was because of that potent power. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, um, given that that brilliant response, um, to connect literacy to the following. Um, The first and the obvious is frame for me, connect for me, literacy and freedom, literacy and the fight Mm. for freedom. We'll start with that. So literacy in the fight for freedom is an old battle. If you go back to the black codes of the 1700s, of the 18th century, these laws were created to keep black people suppressed, to keep them from having knowledge. So in a lot of ways, black people connected their ability to be able to read and write with freedom. But I also think that freedom gives us sort of the fullness of citizenship. It really allows us to engage at every single level. And so when we think about how literacy was banned, Mm -hmm. what it also does, like the conference of that, is it makes learning by black people a criminal act. 
so that when black people are educated, when black people are well read, they are engaging in lawlessness. They are engaging in criminality because that's how the law was tethered to literacy. It was against the law to do this. You could lose a hand. You could lose a body part. You could be whipped, you know, with 30 different stripes for being found with a newspaper or found with letters. So it's not so much that literacy is also connected to freedom. It's that black literacy is also connected to criminality. So that when we make these laws, whether it's in the 19th, 18th, 20th century, or, you know, present day, how we restrict people's ability to have access, I think that too plays into this level of like criminality and black people, you know, going against the power structures. Mm. So that's literacy and freedom. You, 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 you've you teed this second part up, but I want to go straight way into it. Uh, talk to me mm-hmm. more about the connection then between literacy and citizenship. Mm, that's a really good question. You know, when I talk to my students about Reconstruction, and we talk about like the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, the 14th Amendment, which grants citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which is uh, grants voting rights to mm-hmm. black men. Reconstruction is this pivotal moment because it doesn't happen anywhere else in like the Western Hemisphere. You don't get, you know, enslaved people becoming elected officials in, let's say, you know, Cuba or or Jamaica or something like that. The United States during the period of Reconstruction has over 1,500 black elected officials, everywhere from like senators to like state and local municipal elected officials. And... One of the things that that tells me is that black people understood literacy and freedom to go hand in hand with citizenship, that it confirmed their belonging. You want to show that you're American, you want to show that you belong, like then you pursue your education to the highest possible degree. You use your education to benefit your community, to benefit those around you. And that's exactly what happened in Reconstruction. I mean, the first public schools, primary schools, start in Reconstruction. A lot of people think primary school starts earlier, but if you were white in the South, if you didn't have money, if you weren't some large slaveholder, you didn't go to school. Like, there was no public school to attend. And it was the same thing for African Americans who were largely enslaved. So your first public schools get started during Reconstruction. And all of this is about creating a definition of citizenship. What does it mean to be America, American, to fall under the equal protection of the law? Uh, literacy is sort of a gateway for that. Mm. This is getting good, as we say around here. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's getting richer, yeah. uh, Dr. Carter Jackson, as we as we move uh, <laughs> through this hour. All right, so 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 let me let me let me pivot, but only gently, to this. Mm-hmm. And some of this is going to get uncomfortable, perhaps for some listening, but we're going we're going to do it anyway. So <laughs> okay. I I, I want to juxtapose now this notion of literacy and freedom, this notion of mm-hmm. literacy and citizenship. Want to want I want to mm-hmm. pair that with this with this uh, adage that we've all heard a thousand times that if you want to keep a secret from black folk, put it in the pages of a book. Let me, mm. let, me, let me tell you how I want to get into this. So not long ago, I was with some friends of mine, and we were having a conversation, which I won't delve into right now, which prompted me in a, in a sea of black people to do sort of an impromptu research project. Mm-hmm. And on an impromptu basis, I just started asking black people around me, what's the last book you read? 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 
And I'm not going to tell you the results of my my independent <laughs> <laughs> my independent uh, impromptu survey. I'll just say it wasn't nothing nice. Uh, it, it wasn't nothing nice. That the answers I got to that question. So uh, here you see my juxtaposition, right? When 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 when, yeah. when, I, when our ancestors were freed, they could not wait, couldn't wait mm-hmm. to learn to read and write. And, and and trust me, I ain't forgot about Ron DeSantis. We're gonna get to that. You're gonna get to the teaching. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's why we got an hour here, right? But 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 our ancestors were, were craving, to use your word, mm-hmm. um, the the opportunity to learn to read and write. And if you were to do as I did recently. And do an independent survey in a room full of black people. I don't mean Ivy League people. I don't mean Wellesley graduates. Yeah, I was going to say not scholars, <laughs> not my fellow scholars. Yeah, not your fellow <laughs> scholars. Um, you, you might be disappointed in, in, in the data that, that you collect. What say you about that mm. about, about that reality? That they couldn't wait to learn to read and write. And if you ask mm-hmm. average black folk now the last book you read, you might be disappointed. You know, I think it's a couple of things. I think... Americans in general don't read. <laughs> like in general, right. that, I don't think that that is a color or even a class okay. thing. I think that most Americans are not well informed, and I think part of that part of that may have to do with race or class or access. Part of that has to do with you know how it's presented, what's being taught. Part of that is intentional. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of what Ron DeSantis is doing is about keeping people uninformed or sure. misinformed. Sure. And we saw a lot of that misinformation throughout the pandemic, that there is a de-incentive um, for people to learn to read, or not even to learn to read, but to maintain the joy of reading. I think that I had teachers and parents who instilled in me the love of reading. Now, I'm a, I'm a scholar, I'm a historian, uh, you know, reading is part of my job. But I also read for pleasure. I also read sci-fi. I also read rom-coms. I'm also reading, not everything <laughs> that I'm reading or engaging in is, you know, the next slave book or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, we have to sort of go back to the days of, like, reading Rainbow. You know, like, for me, hearing LeVar Burton talk about his favorite book, hearing a black person share, like, the joys that they got from reading something, I think that's highly valuable. And, you know, in today's society, we just learn in all completely different kinds of ways. And so I will tell my students, if you can't read Listen. Listen to a podcast. Listen to the radio. Listen to NPR. If you are an audio learner, then do that. If you are a visual learner, watch some documentaries. <laughs> watch some PBS. Get it however you can get this knowledge or information. So it doesn't always have to be in a book. That's my preferred platform. But I love a good podcast. I love a good documentary. And I think by opening it up to sort of say, how can you layer your learning by reading and watching and listening and how can you make your learning an engaging experience then i think that's nothing that anyone would refuse of all race class or creed um we are human beings we love to learn yeah as you can tell uh we are first talking about us and then we'll talk about them let's get us out of the way first uh dr kelly carter jackson is our guest in this hour she's a professor of africana studies at wellesley college in case you've just tuned in talking uh broadly uh, about um, this teaching that took place, black history teaching took place in Florida recently, where a number of black scholars went to Florida, the scene of the crime, as it were, uh, to do again this black history teaching. And we're, we're talking about that and what we do to resist 
these political antics that uh, are rooted in a sort of anti-woke agenda. That's what we're talking about broadly, mm-hmm. in case you've just turned us on. Um, but we're talking again first about us, and then we'll get to them. One more question, at least one or two more questions about us. So mm-hmm. our, our ancestors could not wait. They craved learning how to read and write once they uh, got their freedom. Uh, and we just juxtapose that reality with the fact that so many of us, and to your point, many Americans, never mind race, color, or creed, just don't read. We are uninformed, misinformed, disinformed. I take your point. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to pivot to, though, is the fact that, and I'm not naive here, I understand that in part because of segregation, in part because of Jim Crow and Jane Crow, mm-hmm. in, be- in part because we were prohibited from doing other things, there was a much greater mm-hmm. percentage of black folk who went into the teaching profession... Back in mm-hmm. the day, there were a lot. There were a lot more Kelly Carter Jacksons back in the day, <laughs> proportionately, mm-hmm. than there are now. And so, part mm-hmm. of what we suffer from is that most of our black boys and black girls, for that matter, are being taught by white women on whom I cast no mm-hmm. aspersion. But all of that again connects back to literacy. It connects back to freedom. It connects yeah. back to citizenship. What say you then about the dearth, the paucity, of black mm. educators? In this present moment. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, I grew up in a mostly predominantly white town. Um, the, the most of the black kids that were in my class were my siblings, you know, so, <laughs> or, or my school or my siblings. I'm one of seven. So we covered a lot of ground, but still there was not a lot of us growing up. I had predominantly all white teachers with the exception of a couple coaches it was not until I went to Howard University that I had, you know, this black diasporic experience, um, which I treasure. I absolutely treasure. And I think that, you know, we have lost some things on our road to integration. Mm-hmm. And I think on that road to integration, a lot of black teachers lost their jobs. A lot of white parents refused to let their white children be taught by white teachers. And I think that we have not invested enough in education to see it as something valuable. And we see that in how well teachers are paid, how well teachers are trained. We put the least in as possible and hope to get out the most. And it doesn't make any sense. Um, And I think that in a lot of ways, you know, black children struggle because they don't have people in front of the classroom that either look like them or, and I think this is really important, especially if you are not a black teacher, teachers who are not black, but also share a passion and an investment for making sure that students who are black get that history, and get that information. Um, and that's possible. You know, my advisor at Columbia was Eric Foner, a white man oh, who yeah. studied, you know, slavery and reconstruction. He taught me what it means. Uh, so you don't have to be black to do this. Yeah. However, you have to be invested sure. to do this. And a lot of people just aren't invested in doing this kind of work. Yeah. You are blessed, blessed, blessed to have been taught by Eric Foner. He's a legend in his own time. Uh, yeah. And uh, what an honor uh, it is, um, I suspect, for you to have been taught by Eric Foner at Columbia. Just a brilliant, brilliant brother. Uh, and um, I'm just glad you in- invoked his name. So it is one thing um, to not want us to learn. It's another thing <clears throat> to not want them to learn. So what, what, what Ron DeSantis is doing is making sure that they, uh, the good white folk, don't learn about black history. One thing for us not to know our history and be denied access and opportunity to literacy. It's another thing, though, 
to not want them to know that history. And that's where we're going uh, when we come forward. We've talked about us. Now we're going to talk about them with Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson. Our guest in this hour, we're talking about the drama in Florida and, frankly, beyond uh, this anti-woke agenda that is resulting in black history not being taught, the truth not being taught, um, uh, th- this curriculum um, that uh, debate that we've had in the in the state of Florida uh, prompted a number of African American educators uh, to convene in Florida and stage a 24-hour Black History teaching at, a- at an AME church. And our guest in this hour, Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, was one of those uh, black educators. She is a professor of Africana Studies at Wellesley College, author of the book Force and Freedom, Black Abolitionist and the Politics of Violence. Uh, delighted to have her on in this hour. Uh, I, I said before, um, uh, before we stepped aside, uh, Dr. Carter Jackson, that uh, I want to talk about us first. We've done most of that, a good part of that. Now I want to focus, our, our, train our lens on them. As I said moments ago, mm. it's one thing uh, it's one thing for us black folk to be denied uh, access to literacy, be denied the opportunity to learn to read and write historically. It's another thing, though, to not want them to learn. So it's mm. it's an interesting irony. Um, so obviously, mm-hmm. when you when you ban books and you when you when you cheat on on the curriculum uh, and, and narrow it, as it were. Uh, and you force black educators to go to Florida to do teach-ins, you know, when, when, when those books are banned, then we don't, have access, we don't have access to those books in schools either. I mean, by we, I mean black people. We don't have ex- mm-hmm. access either. But that's not the ultimate goal, as you know. The ultimate goal is to make sure those white kids uh, don't learn this history, that they aren't made to feel bad. So talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. I, talk, talk to me about the irony that we were discussing a moment ago that, I mean, historically they didn't want us to learn but now it's about denying them access to the truth. How do you how do you read yeah. that? Yeah, it's it's wild to me because part of DeSantis's law is is that there can't be curriculum that causes uh, students to feel guilt or emotional or psychological distress, uh, which to me is sort of backward in the sense that if if black children are not taught their history, then how is that not emotional and psychological <laughs> distress? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there is a lot of, you know, this feeling or sentiment that white people will feel shame, they'll feel guilt, this, that this will not be effective in their learning, that this will somehow harm them. Um, I've been teaching for a long time now, almost 20 years, and I've never experienced that. I have never had a student say, you know, like, I, I'm worried about my mental health because I feel so shamed or guilty about <laughs> this. I've never had, I've never had that happen before. Now, I have had white and black students tell me that they're angry, that they're angry that they didn't get this history mm. because a lot of students will come to college for the first time and they'll learn this history that they didn't get in their K through 12 education. And they're upset. Why didn't I get this? Why didn't I know this? And they're also mad that courses that I often teach are considered electives and not required. So if you're not required to learn this history in order to graduate or whatever, then you're not, unless you are really passionate about the subject, chances are you're not going to sign up for my class. 
Um, and so that's distressing to a lot of students because they feel, and rightly so, that this information should be available to everyone, that everyone should know this history, that you would think differently, you would act differently, you would purchase differently if you knew this history. And so I think, again, part of what DeSantis is trying to do is not just keep white people uninformed, but to also keep them misinformed about what is uh, American history. Yeah. To your point that you've been teaching almost two decades now, you've never had a student who felt so bad, <laughs> so guilty. <laughs> they, 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 no, they're depressed. I not. <laughs> they're, they're, I, I'm depressed. I'm despondent. Take me to the student health center. I can't take it. I can't take it. No, I feel so bad. I have not had that. <laughs> I have not, now, I have say, and I do start out my classes, I will say, listen, guilt doesn't do anything. We read a, um, an essay from Audre Lorde in which he talks about oh, yeah. the uselessness of guilt. And she said, guilt doesn't do anything. Guilt doesn't put food on the table. Mm. Guilt doesn't create more jobs. Guilt, in some ways, Lorde argues that guilt um, makes you um, sort of uh, what is the word she says? It, it immobilizes you. It makes you not want to act. It makes you not want to do anything about your current situation. Um, and I think she's right. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I, but but to your point that you've never had that experience, but you have had the other, which is that um, students mm-hmm. are angry that they didn't yeah. have access to this history. They weren't taught this history. If one takes what you're saying at face value, then what that suggests is. That what what Ron DeSantis and others are doing this anti what they call the, you know this anti woke agenda, what they're really doing what what, what 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 we really have here is a how about I put this a solution chasing a problem does that make sense? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. It is not banning books, um, sort of marginalizing certain stories that will be told or not told or people who will be told or not told does not get us to where we need to be as a country. Mm-hmm. It does not make us informed citizens. It does not make us Americans who can think globally, can think bigger than just America. It does not make us an empathetic people that can think about the experiences of other groups or cultures and want to um, understand them more. It creates a sense, a false sense of superiority in a lot of ways, that whiteness is default great, that whiteness is the norm or the standard by which everybody else should sort of be judged, um, that the goal of being American is assimilation, 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 that we are never to sort of step outside of the comfort box to learn these histories. And it's not just a romantic narrative students are getting. It's a false narrative. It really is. Um, And it's in some ways, you know, it's deceitful. It's manipulative. When I was looking at, you know, they have the new standards for Florida, 216 pages. About pages 3 through 21 talk a lot about the African-American history. But when I saw, you know, there's a line that says we want to talk about how the enslaved benefited from the skills Mm -hmm. that they got while enslaved. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, benefited? In what world do you put the word benefit in slavery in the the same sentence? Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But it's that kind of 
language that like sloppy, slippery language that allows people to believe maybe these atrocities weren't so bad. Maybe, you know, there's good people on both sides, that mm. kind of thing. Um, that it's nothing wrong with slavery. Just be a good master. If you're just a good master. Then that's, that's the goal. Not eradicating slavery altogether, but being good at the evil you're doing. <laughs> like mm. it, it makes no sense. Yep. Makes no sense. Nope. That's why I said it's a, it's a solution chasing a problem. There, there's there's no problem here. Yes. There, there, as we say, there, yes. there, there's nothing to see here, right? So Ron DeSantis has come up with a solution, but there ain't no problem. Nobody, to your point, <laughs> these white folk are not falling out, feeling bad, and needing to be rushed to the doctor and need needing medication because they feel so guilty. Uh, about the ways in which black folk have been maltreated. Uh, again, a solution chasing a problem. When we come forward, uh, I'm going to ask um, Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson to tell us more specifically about this teaching at this AME church uh, as a form of protest against Ron DeSantis in Florida. And we'll circle back to these freedom schools or uh, or Saturday schools and what we can do in real time to sort of uh, replicate that, uh, to scale that up, because if, if the history is not going to be taught to our babies, our students in the classroom, then what are we doing to make sure that they do, in fact, uh, get the history that they need access to? You're listening to Wellesley's Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson on Tavis Smiley. Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson, tell me about this teaching at this AME church in, in Florida first. And then uh, before we wrap this conversation at the top of the hour, We'll talk about, uh, as my friend Sonia Sanchez might say, ways to resist, resist, resist. But tell me about the teaching. So the teaching, wow, it was a feat. It was 24 hours of straight teaching, not nonstop. I taught the 11 p.m. hour. I just asked, no, no 2 a.m., no 3 a.m., please. <laughs> I got I got 11 p.m. I said, okay, I can work with that. And, you know, a bunch, dozens of scholars really came together, and activists and local community leaders, um, teachers that had lost their jobs because of Ron DeSantis' new um, legislation, you know, really came and just poured their hearts out and talked about what it means to teach this history, why it's so valuable, why we're at a crucial point, why we have to stand up, why we can't be sort of resigned to these laws. And it really encouraged, encouraged me because for a long time, I did feel a little um, like people were becoming resigned, like no one was really sort of stepping up to the play that I wanted to see more sort of massive on the ground resistance to these laws. And this teach in really did that for me. It was so encouraging to meet people from all over the country, met a beautiful couple from Seattle, met another guy from Missouri, and just getting to be able to talk to people about the work that you're doing. Um, I think people needed to hear that. And so if you go to YouTube, the videos are still up. You can, you know, watch all of the 24 hours of video that uh, has been collected. But the Institute of Common Power put it together. Yahuwah Williams, Dr. Terry Scott, um, they did an amazing job. It was such a feat. Yeah, it's, a, it's a brilliant idea. And I saw I saw um, that it was happening and read about it. I thought, what a brilliant idea to do this 24-hour teaching mm -hmm. uh, to raise awareness and bring attention to this um, nonsense uh, that's happening in uh, the so-called Sunshine State of Florida. Which, But, but that reality um, that you just laid out, that, that city, I should say, leads me straight to, to the following, which is how mm -hmm. we replicate that. Uh, I had a guest on earlier this week, Dr. Daniel Black out of Clark, Atlanta, who was suggesting that one of the things we need to do 
is to establish Saturday schools. Uh, and those Saturday schools are, you know, not, mm-hmm. not all that different from the freedom schools. And, of course, uh, shout out to my friend mm-hmm. Marianne mm-hmm. Wright Edelman, now retired, of course, from the Children's Defense Fund. But while she was there, she established uh, these freedom schools. And they, are, they happen every summer all across the country, courtesy yeah. of the Children's Defense Fund. So she replicated these freedom schools that we had way back in the day. What say you then um, about... Freedom schools, Saturday schools, uh, teach-ins, how do we get the history? If they don't want to teach their kids our history, that's one thing. we got to continue that fight because it's a part of American history and it ought to be taught. But at, at, but oh, at, at, a, very, at a very minimum. Uh, breaking up a little bit. Can, can you hear me now? Can, can you still hear me? Uh, yes, I can hear you now. Yeah. Go ahead. All right, well, let, me, let me do this. When we come forward, I'll, I'll, I'll restate the question and get your response. Kelly Carter-Jackson, uh, you listen to right now on Tabishman. Truth. Speaking, Speaking the truth. truth. This, this is the Tavis Smiley Show. rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Got about four minutes left. Uh, four minutes left in this conversation with Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson out of Wellesley, where she teaches Africana Studies. She was a part of this 24-hour Black History teaching uh, at an AME church in Florida. Uh, and the success of that 24-hour teaching uh, has got many of us thinking about how we replicate, how we scale that, uh, whether it's freedom schools, whether it's Saturday schools. If they don't want their kids to learn our history, which is American history, so it ought to be taught, no question about it. The question is, um, the penultimate question, it seems to me, is how do we ensure at a minimum that our babies, that black babies, mm understand their own history is it freedom schools is it Saturday schools you tell me Dr. Carter Jackson yeah I I think actually Saturday schools and freedom schools are a wonderful idea I participated in one as an educator not as a student Um, and it was a wonderful way to connect with students that met them right where they're at in their communities and talk to them about their own history and heritage. And it gave me a lot of pride to do it. You know, I've seen my Asian friends going to like Chinese school on the Saturdays or Jewish friends going to Hebrew school. And so to have something for the black community that was maybe them not learning the language, but certainly learning their history and their heritage on a Saturday taught by people who love them and who look like them. I think that is a powerful, powerful thing that you can do. I also think, you know, we need boots on the ground. I think we need activists who will come, you know, to Florida and to these various places. Florida is not the only one with this Mm -hmm. legislation. Texas has it. Iowa has it. Florida is sort of the Simon Says. But we need people that will refuse. We need people that say, no, I'm not doing this, not in my classroom, not in my school district. And a lot of people put quite frankly, just need to be voted out. (laughs) We need to basically exercise our ability to vote and say, you won't be on the school board anymore. You won't be on the textbook committee anymore. You've got to go. As a scholar, how concerned are you that this revisionist history repeated over and over again can take hold with, I want to be as charitable and as generous as I can here, mm-hmm. with a dumbed-down demos. <laughs> with a dumbed-down mm. demos, how concerned are you that this revisionist history might take hold and people will start to believe mm. that, that, that slavery did, in fact, benefit black folk? Oh, I, I'm terrified. I am absolutely terrified of that. I think whenever we think that something like slavery 
is not possible or segregation is not possible. That was in the past. It's not going to happen again. We are wrong. We are fooling ourselves that if we do not learn this history, if we do not study this history, then we are doomed to repeat this history in all of its different facets, that we are not above the past when it comes to how we make decisions. So it's terribly you know, it's something that disturbs me quite a bit, but it's also something that has really galvanized me and my fellow scholars to keep doing the work that we're doing, to keep doing the Lord's work, to encourage other people to keep teaching history accurately, authentic, with authenticity, with joy, with passion, so that students want to keep learning this. Her book is Force and Freedom, Black Abolitionists and the Politics of Violence. She is a professor of Africana Studies at Wellesley College. She is Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, who I've delighted in having on this hour. Uh, Dr. Kelly Carter Jackson, thanks for your time. Uh, again, appreciate you, uh, Thank you so much. downloading with us today. Thank you for your time. Uh, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley, our tribute to Sinead O'Connor. This is a conversation you'll want to hear in which she talks about uh, her three favorite musical artists, Bob Dylan, Curtis Mayfield, Bob Marley, and why Muhammad Ali towers above all of them. Sinead O'Connor, in her own words, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley.